When you ask that question, the answer is not, well, let me put on my scientist's lab coat and get out a Petri dish and analyze this as a theological scientist. This is not abstract and, and the theoretical for, for either of us or for any of your listeners. Um, and I, I, I think what I, what I would say is um, I have learned a couple of things. One is I have learned something about God's own fatherly heart by seeing what my heart, my evil heart. Jesus said, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts. <laughs> um, if my father, if my evil fatherly heart is drawn out in a, almost a violent kind of loving desire to embrace my kids when they are in pain. I love them when they're not in pain, but there's a certain intensity to it, a strengthening to it. When you see someone who is your own flesh and blood, who's actually an extension of you is what your kids feel like um, in pain. You want to take it on yourself. That must be an echo of what we who are made in God's image as moms and dads. That must be an echo of what the divine father feels and experiences for his own children perfectly. He who is not evil. You're listening to the Reframing Ministries podcast, providing strength for today and hope for tomorrow for caregivers and their families. Here's our host, Colleen Swindoll Thompson. Hello, once again. It is such an honor and a privilege always to spend time with you through the Reframing Ministry podcast and interviews. Um, I hope you leave with a huge dose of encouragement today because we are going to talk about a subject that is pervasive, and that is the one of suffering. In fact, as my dad always has said, if you speak to someone who is suffering, you will never have an empty seat at a church. And that is exactly what we are going to do today with my guest, Dane Ortland. Welcome, Dane. Thank you for being a part of this time. Thank you so much, Colleen. It's an honor to be with you. Well, you have written a book that we are going to be talking about called Gentle and Lowly, The Heart of Christ for sinners and sufferers. And as I looked through it, there was there was a lot of, well, it's, it's a wonderful work. It could be easy for us as Christians to be in our heads and to know a lot, but this is a deep dive into the heart of Jesus. How, what led you to go there? Uh, my own ongoing sin, regret, pain, and anguish frustration at myself and my life, um, wanting to have a sustainable life of Christian discipleship, um, and discovering through the coaching of a couple of men who had been dead for 400 years. Uh, actually, the Bible has something to say <laughs> to, to all of us at our worst, not once we begin getting better or getting traction, or get our lives together, or get on the other side of pain. Um, actually, the, the whole scripture front to back is given centrally to those of us who are negotiating pain in a thousand different ways in our lives. So the answer to your question is, I, I don't really know. My own life, my own need, my own desire 
to know what Jesus is really like and not seeing in my little limited finite vision of the Christian publishing world and preaching and ministry, not seeing this note struck of what God's and Christ's actual heart is for us. That's so good because you are so well studied. I mean, you've got a bachelor's, a master's, a doctorate, a PhD. So there isn't a lack of knowledge, but there's something that drew you to to really examine Jesus and his heart for us. I think in suffering, um, we want to kind of shiny up and then show up for Jesus. And you mentioned in an interview I listened to in 2008, something happened that really broke you open. What was that event and Mm. what did it lead to? Oh, wow. Yeah, thank you. Well, I I was in the middle of my doctorate in that time, Colleen, and um, things were going well in my life. Uh, My wife and I had one young son. I was enjoying my studies. It was going going well. Um, But what I I came to realize in the summer of 08, largely through the writings of Martin Luther, but a, a number of streams flowing into my heart ordained by God, I began to realize I am an idolater. Um, I say one thing on paper about what I believe and who I trust and worship, God. But then I'm actually functionally going through my life and, and like take, taking a hit of nicotine from a cigarette. That's what my soul was doing with things other than God. The oxygenating um, realities in my life were not the gospel and Christ. It was how am I doing academically? And I realized I could write a paper on justification (laughs) by faith alone and then get an email that says it's been accepted for publication in a a worldly, scholarly, impressive journal. And I I would actually feed my sense of, am I okay? Am I justified (laughs) by this accepted publication in which I say you can't do that? In other words, I can say, I can say one thing. I can say, I believe the gospel, but what I realized in 08 is I need the gospel, the good news for my life as a Christian every day to draw my strength from God's endless love, despite how I'm doing, as opposed to just needing the good news to get into the Christian life. That was the penny that dropped for me then. And I'm not saying I've got that all figured out, but that I began that journey in 08. Of, of just of realizing that I need the gospel to grow as a Christian, not just to become a Christian. Interesting. How have you went from that one child to five now? And um, there's a lot of challenges with raising children because yeah. our children suffer. And to the degree that we've accepted and embraced our suffering, then we can give to those who are suffering. How mm-hmm. has having five children and being married changed you in that way oh my how long my do we have and, <laughs> uh, and, and, and you know this from your own family Colin, yeah. uh, as deep as any of us but just a thought or two sister um my wife and i had breakfast two hours ago and we were shedding a few tears over the anguish that one of our kids is in so this is this is not when you ask that question The answer is not, well, let me put on my scientist's lab coat and get out a Petri dish and analyze this as a theological scientist. This is not abstract and and 
the theoretical for, for either of us or for any of your listeners. Um, and I, I, I think what I, what I would say is um, I have learned some, a couple of things. One is I have learned something about God's own fatherly heart by seeing what my heart, my evil heart, Jesus said, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts <laughs> to your kids. Um, if my father, if my evil fatherly heart is drawn out in a, almost a violent kind of loving desire to embrace my kids when they are in pain, I love them when they're not in pain, but there's a certain intensity to it, a strengthening to it. When you see someone who is your own flesh and blood, who's actually an extension of you is what your kids feel like um, in pain. And you just wish, I said to my daughter last week, she had her double ear infection. I wish my ears were sad and your ears were happy, sweetheart. She's eight. You want to take it on yourself. That must be an echo of what we who are made in God's image as moms and dads. That must be an echo of what the divine father feels and experiences for his own children perfectly he who is not evil what must god be like if our hearts are drawn out so strongly to our kids in that way and um, so that that's probably the main thing that i want to keep seeing and learning and growing and i i want my kids to know when they don't make the basketball team when they are sick when they are rejected by their peers when they fail in the vocal performance, when they get some, some desperate illness, when, when they're just that, um, that I and God love them most strongly then. In a sense, I don't love them more than, but you know what I mean? My, my heart is drawn out to them in a way, whereas what we tend to feel toward our Heavenly Father is that when I'm doing worse in some way, sin or suffering, he still loves me, but he's sort of taken a step back. Actually, the reverse is true, according to scripture. So I, I want to believe that, and I want to pass that on to my kids. Yeah. I'm sorry that you guys are going through that. Um, that is that is so hard. And it's I think the comfort that I have received, knowing some of the things that my son has gone through, the only comfort, actually, because I'm that mama bear and knowing mm -hmm. that he has hurt so significantly and all three of my children have um i've just had to say god you saw your son die yes some of their suffering i haven't had to witness i can't mm -hmm. imagine witnessing that and a love that allowed the torture that he went through right. I I had back surgery several years ago. Well, I've had a couple of them. And my back surgeon, the first time around, said, oh, it's not going to be a problem. You're going to be, you know, we'll get this figured out. And I I told him that after, like, I don't like you anymore. We're not friends forever because <laughs> I'm in so much pain. My oh. second surgery, he had had a back surgery. Hmm. And so he said, now I understand what my patients go through. How interesting. And he said, I operate so differently just in the rapport. Wow. As you pastor the church in Naperville, yeah. how do you lead your congregation to enter into someone's suffering without offering the bumper sticker Christian responses? 
Excellent, excellent question. That is such an urgent and often um, wrongly fielded kind of question and experience. What I mean is, uh, here, here's something I have learned in my just a little over two years in pastoral. I'm 43. Uh, I started pastoring when I was 41. So I am a toddler stumbling my way forward <laughs> in pastoral ministry. Okay, I acknowledge that. All right. Nevertheless, one of the things I, one of the, probably my number one lesson calling in two years is my number one tool in my pastoral ministry is not my books, but my tears. And my books are indispensable. I mean, if I turn my computer around, you see this entire big office lined with books. I love books. Love, love, love books. And they are not my most important tool in pastoral ministry. What my people in their anguish need, they are all walking in, most of them with smiles on, but they are all walking in, in varying degrees, on the verge of tears. Life is hellish. They are all just so beaten down in different ways, week to week pretending, faking it, pretending they're not, but many of them. We're learning how to take those masks off. Anyway, they're walking in, and what, what they need is solidarity, solidarity. They don't need, uh, we're going to teach them Bible truth and doctrine and, and so on. But what they need, especially when they're sitting with me in my office, and they're, they're, they're choked up, struggling to express what is going on in their heart, because they're, they're so in anguish and they're trying to communicate. What they don't need is for me to, um, in the, the silent, the awkwardness of silence, say something chipper or cliche. They don't even need me to quote a Bible verse, true as that verse is. What they need is the silence of solidarity. Co-shed tears. Co I mean, uh, sympathy means to co-suffer. When it speaks of Christ sympathizing in Hebrews 4, that comes from a Hebrew word meaning to co-suffer. Like I'm coming along, I'm not standing facing you, telling you what you need to know to get better. I'm coming around and putting my arm around you and helping shoulder your pain with you. And, and um, the person ministering to the sufferer often does not realize simply being present, warmly, quietly present is a powerful ministry oh it's, it's life-changing honestly it is whereas if you're a job's friend and you just give answers and as you say bumper sticker verse it, it, in romans we have romans 8 28 and we have romans 12 15 romans 8 28 god works all things for good we all believe that romans 12 15 weep with those who weep rejoice with those who rejoice not uh provide theological answers to those who weep and even though Romans 8.28 comes before Romans 12.15 in that book of the Bible, Romans 12.15 needs to come before, way before Romans 8.28 in our counsel and friendship to people. We need to simply be with them. Uh, last night, we had our small group meeting at our house. One of the brothers, uh, five couples sitting around my family room, one of the brothers said, uh, we were talking, the sermon was on Mark 12 about loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. One of the brothers said, I really don't know how to do that. I so understand that. That's a fabulous Me statement. Too. We all do. Yeah. A moment of blessed candor and transparency. The guy's been a Christian for years. I got to be honest, guys. I just don't even really know the first thing about what it means to love God. And I immediately jumped in before anyone else was tempted to tell him what to do. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I immediately jumped in. I just said, 
brother, I do too. That, that, that must be really hard because I, I want, I want him, I want it to be a fertile environment for men and women to be able to open their heart and their hurt and not be, not be coached or taught or counseled. There's a time for that, but we do that when they ask for it, not when they're simply communicating their hurt. That's a few thoughts, Colleen. I welcome your thoughts. Well, I, you remind me so much of Henri Nouwen because mm. I watched some of your um, interviews and I thought, oh my goodness, this is so scholarly and it's wonderful. And then as Henri went and worked at Liark mm. and they said, it doesn't matter. They didn't care about any of my books. In fact, they couldn't read them. They couldn't even talk, some of them. And so he wow. learned that what really mattered was the being with. The yes. book in the name of Jesus, I'm sure it's in somewhere in that swath of books that you have surrounding you. Oh, it is. Um, <laughs> why do you think, in fact, there's a song, I think it's Casting Crowns, the line is, break my heart with what breaks yours. Why are we so afraid to sit quietly and allow someone to let their heart open? What a profound question. I don't know the answer to that, although I see it in me. I can see in me the discomfort with sitting with someone who is in abject pain mm. and cannot even get the vocal cords working. They just have tears streaming down. Um, it's uncomfortable for the non-sufferer. And I don't really know what the answer is, Colleen, except that we're sinners and we're weird. We're not, <laughs> we're, we're not, we're not like, we're not like God and Christ. Who Jesus in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John at every point was quite comfortable sitting with the messiest and the, the most in pain, men and women, boys and girls in the world of that time. Um, and just being, as you say, uh, present with them. Um, I don't know, but I, I don't know the reasons why. I mean, I'm sure for each of us, there, there are actually deep. I mean, I don't even understand myself, let alone my <laughs> wife, let alone a congregant. I don't understand all that is going on within me at any one time. We are deep mysteries. Yeah. John Newton, the old hen writer, said, I'm a mystery unto myself. Yes. That's true. Um, but I would just love for all of us to be mindful of what you and I are talking about and grow into being the kinds of Christians where when someone in our circle of community is in pain, they are drawn to pick up their cell phone and text or call us because they have tasted something like this is a safe person. This is a safe person. And it doesn't mean we endorse sin. That this is a person who's, who's the way they comport themselves echoes what I see of the Lord Jesus Christ in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I want to be that kind of pastor. I do not want to be the kind of pastor who can give the right answer and has all the degrees, but people do not feel safe with. How awful. That's not a shepherd. That's a lecturer. But the primary metaphor for a pastor or elder in the New Testament is shepherd. So I want the sheep in all their different dysfunctions and wounds and regrets um, to, to be like draw, to draw, drawn towards me. And woe to you when all people speak well of you. We're always going to have our critics. Okay, we understand that. But in general, I want the I want like the aroma of my ministry to be like yours, Colleen, where where we we people know that we have suffered and they know that they can be be safe and listened to 
and loved uh, when they are with us. That's the heart of Christ. Yeah. And I think some of it goes down to what you mentioned in the book is our misconceptions or our projections um, of Christ and or of God. Yeah. I think of J.B. Phillips' book, Your God is Too Small, which is profound. Yes. And yet we sub, not even consciously, will put God into a box. Where yes. have you had God defined as either the great grandpa or the Santa Claus or the stern lecturer? And then mm-hmm. how has God stripped that away? Because when we suffer, the the core of it is, what am I going to believe about God? Am I going to even right. believe in him? And so who is he? Some So many people listening are asking that question because there is so much suffering. Yes. And we need someone to, to break those molds for us. It's so true. Yeah, I well, it, that's a really good question, Colleen. And I, I, I grapple to know exactly what the answer is, but I'll just offer a thought or two. Um, I don't believe that um, men and women, and I'm speaking of men and women in the church, have, have grown up with a basically accurate view of what God is like that needs cosmetic tweaking from time to time. I don't believe, I reject that. I, be, I now believe that we all grow up and without realizing it, unwittingly, we create God in our image rather than realizing he's not like me. That's the whole point of that book. Christ shows us, you know, in John 14, Hey, Philip, hey, Jesus, uh, could you show us the Father? That's enough for us. Jesus was, uh, hey, doofus, if you've seen <laughs> me, you've seen the Father. Uh, as one theologian says, Jesus is what the Father has to say. So it's a, what, when we see Jesus, we see what the Father is like. He's not a different kind of God. Okay, so having said that, um, the Scripture is giving us a lifelong project in deconstructing our natural, intuitive, reflexive, instinctive, deeply held assumptions about what God must be like. That's one way to understand what the scripture is doing. It's a life, it's decades in letting the scripture say, nope, he's not like you. He's way better. He's not a nicer, smilier version of you. And one reason that we are, one reason we don't like praying a reason we don't like time in scripture. Uh, we don't want, we kind of, okay, I know I need to obey God, but I don't, that's like paying a tax. I hope there's enough left over for me to live on afterward is we're projecting him out in our image. We think he's actually just a bigger, better version of us. So um, I find myself constantly coming back to the scripture and saying, oh my goodness, that is actually what he's like. I mean, I'm, I've been, I think I was probably born again at age six. I've been in different kinds of ministry for most of my life. I got all the Bible degrees and I am still um, in an inveterate way, in, in a way, like I'm hardwired and spring loaded to think of God as like me. When I keep saying like me, what I mean is that he, he operates in a in a way of law, in a way of reciprocity, in a yes. way of, Dane, you've done this, I'm going to act this way accordingly. Yeah. Um, so I was thinking this week about a sin in my life. And I came to Isaiah 57. And this, this, is, the, this is the text that I am doing chemo to the cancer of this particular sin in my life with. Uh, Isaiah 57, uh, 17. 
Uh, I was angry. God says I was angry. I struck him. I hid my face and was angry, but he went on backsliding in the way of his own heart. It's talking about God's people. God was angry and they kept sinning. I have seen his ways, God says, but I will heal him. I will lead him and restore comfort to him. Here's God saying, here's, here's the day Orleans of the world. The, they're my people. And they just keep wandering away and screwing up. So I confront them and I say, hey, um, you know, come back to me. Why are you doing that? And so their response to me is, no, thanks. And they wander away even further. God's response when we squander his mercy is to pour out more mercy. He says, I will turn and heal him. I will restore comfort to him. Um. That's not what we That's think naturally. <laughs> yes, right. So I, I just, um, uh, I, I just want people to have the audacity to believe that maybe, maybe the Jesus they're bored with isn't the real Jesus. Maybe he's he's the God they're bored with isn't the real God. The reason they're bored with him is the one they think is there. That's not who he really is. The real God and the real Christ is irresistible and inexhaustible. That's all I want to say in my ministry. Visit us at reframingministries.com for all of Colleen's interviews, articles, recommended resources, and more. While you're there, don't forget to subscribe and receive our free five-day video devotional series where Colleen provides pointers for navigating daily life and struggles. So to the person right now who is suffering, whether it be the loss of a child, uh, Mm -hmm. an unexpected event that has ripped the rug right out from under them, a financial worry that they don't know how to make ends meet, um, a woman who is coming out of the sex slave uh, trade and has no idea what even a human father's like. Right. This book is basically about Jesus. So what what do you say to the soul of that person? Wow. Well, if we have nothing to say, we should just resign from ministry because this is really the point. And numerous thoughts are flooding into my mind, Colleen. One is we can say to them, um, I, as a fellow human being, uh, what we shouldn't say is, I know how you feel. For sure. Al- yes. Almost never should we say that. Right. That actually exacerbates their anguish. For sure. What we also shouldn't say is, that must be hard. Let me tell you how I suffered in my past. Because then what you're doing is you're saying, Please get out of your suffering and into your present suffering and come into my past suffering. In other words, get out of your bigger suffering and come into my smaller suffering. That's very selfish. Both of those are I statements, by the way. Both of those statements are all about I. It's not about the sufferer. Yes. We can say uh, sentences such as the following, and then I'll go to the scripture. Sentences such as the following. That must be really awful. I am so sorry. 
I can't imagine what you have gone through. And what you're doing then, it's solidarity. It's the ministry of seeking to acknowledge our ignorance and their pain together which actually is healing in itself yes. because it is dignifying their pain. Instead of when you give an answer, you're diminishing their, what you're saying. If I give them an answer, I'm saying it, it shouldn't feel that bad. And um, uh, J.C. Ryle, the old English bishop, he said, um, friendship uh, doubles all our joys and halves all our sorrows, cuts in half all our sorrows. What you're doing is you're being a friend. You're having their sorrow because you're sharing it with them. Um, and then it, it, uh, what you want to do, I think, is in time, as they are able to hear, communicate to them that though we can't understand exactly what they're going through, there's one person in the universe, wonder of wonders, who actually does know. Because the scripture teaches in Hebrews 4, Hebrews 2, that the Lord Jesus Christ walked through every pain that any of us ever walks through, bracketing out sin. So bracket out, he never committed sin. Okay, but everything else that we walk through, and you just rattled off several that were not really sin, not something we're morally culpable for. Um, he has walked through that. And I, I would make the case uh, biblically and theologically calling that actually Jesus Christ feels all feels and experiences all of our pain more acutely than we do. And if and just the human analogy is the way a mom or a dad feels their kids' pain in a way more acutely than they do, in a way, because of the relationship of, of love. Um, he feels it more acutely. In other words, even if someone is in pain and everyone at church is giving them stupid answers. Everyone at church is being Job's friends to them. Everyone in their small group is saying, well, you must have sinned in some way for this to have happened. And you know, um, even if every human being is doing that, which is deeply painful and wrong, there is one person, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will never do that to them, but who is putting his, he's lifting their face by the chin and looking them in the eye. And saying, I love you in a way no one else ever can or will. I have walked through this with you uh, in the, already. And I am going to, right now, put my arm around you and let's do this together. Mm. That's different than substitutionary atonement on the cross. That's also true and glorious. But we're talking right now about present suffering. Yeah. And, the, and, and we're, we're underdeveloped in the Christian church on this aspect. Atonement we're better on. Solidarity, substitution we're better on than solidarity. We know what he did in our place. We're not as developed in what he does with us. Mm. And he puts his arm around us and he says, I am going to walk you with my arm around you as you stumble forward. I am going to walk you through the hell of the, the, the world that this is. Right on the, through the miseries of this world into the glories of the next. And every single scar in this life is going to be flipped back out inside out into a beauty mark in the next life as a teaching of Romans 8. All as dark as it gets now, it will be that bright and resplendent then. 2 Corinthians 4, 17, this present um, suffering is working for us an eternal weight of glory. <laughs> 
So actually, this is the ultimate win-win. Now, I'm starting to preach and theologize now. And so I want to tap the brakes and, and be careful what I say to someone who is in suffering. But there's a load of glory to gently walk a sufferer into in the Lord Jesus Christ, the person, not the formula, the force, the idea, the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, who when he saw sufferers, he wept, he wept twice in the gospels. And in neither time was it about his own suffering. It was about the suffering of others. So he's that kind of savior. And I don't know where we get the idea that we have to show up looking a certain way, but I think Mm -hmm. that is a subconscious schema that we can cling to when actually, here's what should, well, here's what gets us all off the hook. Anyone who is suffering, anyone who is in crisis, their physiology is changing. So they're not going to probably remember what you say. They're probably not going to be able to hear what you hear because their brain is already on fire. (laughs) So we're off the hook already. And it's just important and um, in trauma, they call it attunement. When you attune by looking into the eyes and the eyes are the window to the soul, when that person can sense, like in parenting, they really care and they get me. That attunement, that solidarity, as you call it, I think that's like the biggest comforter ever, just wrapped around with warmth. Um. I love it that you brought in the Holy Spirit because without the Holy Spirit moving in our lives, it could be a very heady religion, which I, I, I respect brilliance. I respect those who have pursued that. I need a soul. I need a heart to walk with me in Jesus. How does the Holy Spirit play a part in that? Oh, my well, we're, we're sunk without the Holy Spirit, with all, with all due respect to the Father. And Son. <laughs> For sure. But I'm, yes. I'm looking at a, a, a verse a verse such as 1 Corinthians uh, 2.12 says, We have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God. Why? Why? Question. Why did God give us the Holy Spirit? Uh, there are many valid answers. This is a big question, but here's one answer. Um, we have received the spirit who is from God in order that we might understand the things freely given to us by God. That's a good translation. It's the verb form of grace, the things we've been graced with. What what is the ministry of the Holy Spirit? The ministry of the Holy Spirit is to cause the recipe of the gospel to be tasted. We need to know the ingredients, but the whole reason you get the doctrinal ingredients right is so that you can enjoy the apple pie. So you want to be able to enjoy it. The Holy Spirit is the one who actually nurtures, fosters, creates, sustains the experience of God, um, the enjoyment of the gospel, so that it's not only true objectively outside of me, but also enjoyed subjectively inside of me. So the Holy Spirit is you know, John 14 through 16, the comforter, the advocate, it's all really hard to translate with one English word, that Greek word, parakletos, the, the paraclete, the, the one who is within us, supporting us, sympathizing, strengthening, fortifying, encouraging. Yeah, so this, this is a profound ministry that the Spirit has. Um, how There are times in my days where I, I'm like, Lord, I want to experience that, as you said, that pie, that aroma, Mm. 
the empowerment. And yet sometimes it can feel so blank. Um, what, how do you encourage the person who is struggling and yes. is like, where are you? You know, Lord, right. I, in fact, for my son who has a lot yeah. of health issues, we have been yeah. praying for healing and praying for, and then my other two kids and their healing process. And there were times where I'm like, Holy Spirit, are you even like, are you over helping them more? Right. Yeah. What a great question, Colleen. Um, I, I, I have no magic bullet for that. And anyone who would pretend that they do run. I mean, I, 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 when someone is just feeling blank and like they can't get their internal kind of like spiritual juices flowing for protracted periods of time, perhaps, um, I, I would simply say, um, God loves you. Hang in there. Yeah. This is hard. We, we all in different ways go through seasons like this. God understands you're not a bad Christian. You're not a bad Christian if you go through dry times. You're a normal Christian. And this is why we are so thankful for the finished work of Christ and the endless power of the Holy Spirit. We have the Son and the Spirit. We don't, all, we don't have to have it together. We're going to go through times like this. God is infinite in patience. He is not trigger happy. He's slow <laughs> to anger. And I would just say, finally, when, when you are blank, let's say someone says, I just can't pray. I'm, I'm just too, I'm too distraught. I'm too flat, whatever. Um, what I, want, I just had this conversation the other day. What I would say is pray that. Pray that. That then is your prayer. And anything else is actually works righteousness. You're thinking that you have to be in a certain state in order for God to hear your prayers, or you have to have the words right. Romans says a lot of times, Romans 8, we're groaning, we're in agony, and we can't even form the right words to pray. <laughs> but the Holy Spirit put, gives intercedes for us with groanings deeper than our words. So I would just say, pray what you're at. And then on Tuesday, if you're even worse, perhaps, pray that. Spend a week doing that. And let's say at the end of that week, you just feel like you've gotten nowhere. I would respond, you just spent a week with God. You just spent a week seeking God. That is, God will honor that. He loves that. Surely, the, the cries of his people when they're just totally at their wits end and don't even know how to cry to them, is in a sense more precious to him than the, the, the beautifully articulated prayer of someone who is just feeling like they're on the top of the mountain. Yeah. Um, when have you gone to Jesus like that? Did you say, when have I? Yeah. What was an experience that got you like, I'm going to just pray for the desire to pray? Oh, wow. Well, I, I, I don't think I would say I've ever entirely been out of that. <laughs> <laughs> or just something that was um, stumped I, or you were just stumped or uh, just a, a struggle. And you're like, Lord, yeah. I, I don't know what to say. Um, yeah. 
but yeah, everything feels gray. Yeah. Well, I, I, here's my current experience, Colleen. Um, I am, my wife is very emotionally buoyant and steady. And I'm the photo negative of that. I'm up and down and all over the place uh, emotionally. And um, that's exacerbated by the, the weekly preaching rhythms. Preaching is an, uh, an up for me, but what goes up must come down. Yes. And Sunday afternoon and early Monday morning, um, I'm not myself. I do can't you turn into Spurgeon? <laughs> Quite honestly, with his, his depression and his struggle and the darkness that would come over him. The day um, if after. there's some of that with him, then that would be the only thing I have in common with, with <laughs> Charles Bergen. Yeah, I, um, so early on Monday morning, um, like I, I'm, uh, don't tell my elders, but I'm like ready to resign every Monday morning. That was a, that was a train wreck of a sermon yesterday. What am I doing? What, why am I in this role? My life is going down the tubes. And, and I have to get some coffee and a Bible. And what, what I, what I do, I mean, what I do every Monday is just like, try, try to tell God. the Puritans talked about your innermost prayers being, and forgive the expression, the vomit of the soul, just to say, here's where I'm at. Here's where I'm at. Um, so I'm doing that every Monday. I can also think of a time if you want a, a particular instance, um, when I was at a significant vocational fork in the road and I was paralyzed and terrified, what do I do? And, um, and I, I really, really was stuck and I, I didn't want to screw it up. Um, and it's one of those times where, and I'm sure you have these calling and it's all your listeners too. You look back and you see the Lord's gentle shepherding guidance leading in your life. But in the moment, it's like you're in the fog and you can see one step forward, but not three. And, um, and I, I did not know what to do. And, and I just had, I was just crying out for God to help and lead me. And I, I didn't have, um, I didn't have a prayer that would have been prayable publicly. All I had was groans and agony and longing. <laughs> and uh, I, I, I am sure those must be some of the most, the most precious yeah. um, breathings and prayers for the Lord to receive. Because, again, back to our original thought, you're getting yourself out of the way. You are mm. truly, truly leveled mm. to then love God with all your heart, your soul, your mm. mind, your strength. Because mm. you have nothing right. left. Exactly right. I mean, in, in, in the Lord Jesus' earthly ministry, it was those who... Who, who didn't have anything to put on their spiritual or moral resume. I love who he chose as his closest friends. The disciples yes. are just a great group. <laughs> they were a disaster. Exactly. You know, like tax collectors and, and, and fishermen, and, and, you know, they were just squirrely and inconsistent. Uh, they were Who's like going to be in charge? I want to be in charge. No, I'm going to sit by you. <laughs> no, I don't believe in him. I've got to see him. And I'm like, that's exactly right, what, right. those are the things that I doubt and I say, and I, that go through my heart. Mine too. So right. as we wrap up, Dane, this has been so wonderful. Um, can you just speak into that life? Like if you were to take this book 
and say, I want this to be put into your heart as you wrestle with the not knowing, the stuff, the um, questions. Just pour your heart into that. Mm. Well, I just want, I want every Christian to know and what, what's at the center of that book, Colleen's. I, I want every Christian to know that it is at their moment of deepest pain, regret, and anguish that the Lord Jesus loves them the most. Um, that they are, um, what, what, what he deeply wants from them is for them, for you and me, and all of his own, day upon day, however we are doing, to the, the verb I like to use is to collapse into his open nail scarred arms. I like the word collapse because anyone can do that because it's just falling. Anyone can fall if you have the humility to do it. If you have the, the need, if you like, I need help, rescue, I, I need you. Anyone can do that. It's not, it's not climbing a ladder. It's not even taking a step. <laughs> it's just collapsing into his open arms. Um, I want every Christian to know that, that that is what rejoices the Lord Jesus the most. He doesn't love us with tolerating love. Uh, this is what I thought for most of my life. Dane, Jesus loves you, but um, he's also kind of looking at his watch, and especially when you're screwing up. Um, he loves you, but it's sort of that condescending look that you got from your dad when you uh, missed the free throw. You know, no, he's he loves you, and um, he he loves you with a, a fierce love that uh, is intensified as we come to him at our worst. I, that's just what I want. I want people to know. I want them to know not only about the person of Christ, truly God, truly man, not only the work of Christ, he died on the place and on our place, uh, in our place on the cross for our sins, but also the heart of Christ. Yeah. What is the, we need the skeleton of doctrine, but the beating heart, the flesh, what's he actually like? <laughs> he's not a, he's not a neoplatonic force. He's not like a, a he's not Zeus. He's not Superman. He's a person. Hmm. And in the one place where he said, all right, I'm going to tell you guys what my heart is in only one place. I like to put it this way. If he had his own personal website in the about me drop down, the first things we would read are gentle and lowly in heart. Cause that's where the one place where he said, here's what my heart is. That is astonishing to me. That is today on this day. I am astonished at that. That is deeply surprising. I would not have, if those are blanks, I am what and what, and I had all the Bible degrees. I would not have expected the Lord Jesus to say, I am gentle. I am, what he's saying is, I will never manipulate you in your pain and suffering. I will never handle you roughly. I will never grow impatient. I will, I am the most accessible and approachable person in the universe. You don't ever have to go through security to get to me. You don't have to be put on hold. You don't have to, um, like when we got on this Zoom call, the host will let you in. He, he never does that to us. <laughs> say, we have immediate access. 
to the same one who bade his adoring angels farewell all those years ago and, and came to earth um, for us. We have immediate and total access to this one who, when John the Apostle in Revelation 1 saw the risen Christ, he fell down as if dead because it was so resplendent and glorious. That one is gentle and lowly in heart. I mean, th this is, you can't find this in the Quran. You can't find this in any other religion. This is um, totally counter what we instinctively believe a God must be like. So I just want to spend my life telling people he really is that good. Yeah. He really is exactly what we need. And I think it's also so helpful to remember, which was such a profound learning point for me that this is the only place where he talks about himself. Mm -hmm. I am gentle and I am lonely, lowly. Mm -hmm. Yet throughout scripture and his actions, he mm -hmm. tries and tries and tries. It's like, okay, well, they did this, so let's start again. Let's start again. And he never runs out of start agains. Right. And he just keeps loving us. Well, Dan, I could just, I just know this has been an encouragement to people. And I certainly would love to um, interview you again at any time because this message is so needed in our churches. Mm -hmm. It's needed in our world. The yeah. message of kindness and the message of of meek and lowly. Thank you so very much. People can find you where? So we'll put that in our show notes. Oh, mainly on Twitter is where I'm mainly active. I don't do uh, much on Facebook and I'm not at all on Instagram, but. Uh, you mean Twitter you're not a TikToker? <laughs> I'm not a TikToker. No, I'm not. I got five kids. I don't have time for some of this stuff. Um, it, Colleen, it's just such an honor to speak with you. Thank you for your ministry and heart and all that they reflect. Sure, you bet. Well, thank you so much again. Thank you again for joining us today. We hope you'll join us again for future discussions with Colleen and World Influencers. The Reframing Ministries podcast is a production of Insight for Living Ministries.